Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for June 4th, 2017. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. We have an interesting Dharma glimpse in store for you. Uh, but it involves a diagram that was supplied and it's kind of, and he, and he refers to this, what's on the diagram. So I could describe it if you, so that you could help understand better what he's talking about. If you get a pen or pencil and uh, a large piece of scrap paper, maybe a 11, eight and a half by 11, or because it involves maybe a horizontal space about at least eight inches, you need to draw this thing. Okay. First, I want to talk about an interesting article from the Internet. This was by a biologist, and it fits very nicely with Eastern philosophy, Buddhist teachings, but it's um, a secular article. It doesn't mention religion or Buddhism at all, but it's a really interesting article about plants and the inter- interdependency of plants. Um, the title is Life is the Network not the self. And he takes a maple leaf. Because he's a scientist and a biologist, he wants to analyze this maple leaf and he puts it in uh, parts of it into different petri dishes with sugar solution um, to see what will emerge or grow. Uh, and he says, the leaf is not what it seems. Most textbooks or diagrams, they show the plant cells. But if you go and look at more microscopic things that are coming out, there's much more than just plant cells. Um, the leaf, okay, I'm just sort of quoting from the art from different parts of the article, but a leaf is a community of fungus, bacteria, protist, protist, I don't know what that is, algae, nematodes, just like a diagram of human skin usually omits the microbes that are essential components of human bodies. And so our images of plants, seemingly so objective, misses the essential nature of a leaf. A maple is not just an individual made of plant cells, but a community of cells from many domains and kingdoms of life. Uh, let's see. If you look at a... Um, let's see. The leaf comprises millions of non-plant cells. Uh, study of the diversity of DNA in leaves reveals hundreds of species in every leaf. There may be a million species of leaf-dwelling fungus. Uh, the global diversity of bacteria in leaves is unknown, but the DNA sequencing can reveal hundreds per plant species. 
By eavesdropping on the chemical conversations within the leaf, biologists have learned that the life processes of a plant, growing, moving nutrients, fighting disease, and coping with drought, are all networked tasks emerging from physical and chemical connections among the diverse cells. These leaf networks are dynamic. In some species, the network changes through the seasons, starting in spring when the bacteria that resemble those of the soil, then it shifts through the growing season to bacteria that can process the complex mix of nutrients inside a leaf. Then fungi inside the leaf protect against the different animals. They encourage growth. They, they protect against drought. And bacteria also promote growth by processing nutrients, cleaning waste, signaling to the plant cells, producing growth hormones, combating pathogens. The fundamental unit of biology is therefore not the self, but the network. A maple tree is a plurality. It's individuality, a temporary manifestation of relationship. And he says that this, leaf of, this view of life has practical consequences. It's not just a physical, chemical, you know, objective reality. If a plant is made from relationships, then agricultural science can manage these relationships to increase yield and sustainability in conservation biology. Restoring ecological interactions will help the species and ecosystems. In genetic engineering, the effects of manipulations emerge not from the essential quality of any stretch of DNA, but from the networked interactions among genes and their environments. The living communities within plants can be put to work remediating polluted soils, reducing the toxicity of agricultural chemicals applied to producing biofuels. So he says, uh, concluding sentences, we now see not an individual native plant cells, but a thrumming, <laughs> I never heard that word, thrumming conversation, an embodied network. The self, in quotes, is a society. Goes by David George Haskell, and he is uh, a professor of biology, yeah, I might have said botany, biology, at the University of the South in Tijuana, Tennessee. One of his books, The Forest Unseen, was the winner of the National Academics Best Book Award and also a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in nonfiction. Indeed, fits uh, nicely with the Chinese Buddhism of non-self as an unchanging entity. Huh? And it gives new meaning to, you know, when you think of a maple leaf, you think of that famous haiku poem of a monk uh, walking in the woods and he sees the maple leaf falling down, showing front, showing back. And this is sort of on the, the level of where he says, oh, this maple leaf is so natural. Shows front, shows back. We humans try to show our front, not our back. <laughs> 
you know, we clean our front porch, but oh, our back porch is a mess. Okay? And in our personality too, and even monks, we try to we want to show our good side. Okay, what are we like in pride? <laughs> so he said, this maple leaf has a great teaching to me, and he bowed and got show this maple leaf that he just saw falling down, showing front, showing back. But on a more macro level, you could expand this to uh, fall to this, because it represents the whole universe. It represents nature. It represents ultimate reality. It remembers, represents life itself with a capital L. Wow. <laughs> anyway, here's the diagram that I want to describe before I introduce our guest speaker. Uh, on the left side of the, your paper, draw a circle. You know, good size circle. And then there are six letters inside the circle. 12 o'clock position on top, write an A. And then at the 2 o'clock position, write an S. And near the inside edge of the circle line. At the four o'clock position, write an I. At the six o'clock position, write a T. At the eight o'clock position, write an I. At the ten o'clock position, write an S. So you have the circle. You have these six letters inside the circle, going around the inside of the perimeter of the circle line, A S I T I S, as you go. But you could see that it. If you go clockwise from the A, it spells as it is. If you go counterclockwise, it also reads as it is. Now, to the right of the circle, in a horizontal line, straight out, you write OR and a slash, and you write the AND sign. What is that called? An ampersand? You draw the and sign, then you put a slash, and then you write nor, N-O-R. And to the right of that, you put an equal sign, and you write in big letters keep, K-E-E-P, another equal sign, then you write going, another equal sign. So you have that circle, and then in the horizontal line to the right of the circle, it says four slash, and sign, slash, nor, equals, keep, equals, going, equals. And the title of the Dharma Glimpse is Completeness and Uniqueness, a Dharma Glimpse on Identity, by David Choyo, who is a Brighton Center lay minister, lives in Pennsylvania, and it up here, Toyo's Dharma Glimpse. Om Namo Amitabhaya, Buddhaya, Dharmaya, Sanghaya. Namaste, everyone. This is Choyo, and I'm here to offer a Dharma Glimpse. And I hope it may be of some 
to someone out there. It was certainly, it's always a challenge to try to articulate uh, how the Dharma manifests in our life. And I'm going to call this talk Completeness and Uniqueness, a Dharma glimpse on identity. So I'm involved in my community with different interfaith and interspiritual um, communities, both locally and at the university and online. And one of the things that I've just noticed is um, all this focus now on identity politics, identity issues, and the idea of identity. So I wanted to take time to kind of do a glimpse into that on the nature of identity and how Buddhism can offer insight into this concept. And in uh, many traditions of Buddhism, such as Madhyamaka and some others, there's the teaching that virtually everything is a conceptual designation and the self, especially as Ananta, is to have this essenceless essence, some mystery um, that we can call identity or the person. And in some of these groups that I've been working with, there's been a lot of very liberal people involved in the interfaith and spiritual movement. And there, the issue of transgenderism has been in the news and institutions are now you know, emphasizing the inclusiveness of accepting people who have the right to choose their gender identity. And so it's even been expanded to the ideas of race, racial identity that we can choose for ourselves rather than have um, these identities imposed on us. And yet um, many of the people that are like totally on board with this idea, they somehow still impose identity on others, such as an example is um, President Trump, some of the Christian ministers saying he's not a Christian. or And in, it, we find this even in the Buddhist communities, among many on Facebook, and um, the idea that, oh, this person isn't Buddhist, that isn't Buddhism. And even many of the uh, renowned living Buddhist teachers today will say things like certain lower vehicles are deviant or that um, such as the Shugden Dorje sect that those practitioners are really animists and not Buddhists and that their, their wisdom Buddha is actually a hungry ghost or that uh, Buddhism is not a religion, and those who practice it as such are not really practicing Buddhism. Um, one of the uh, one of the sects called the True Buddhist School um, has been co- the the Living Buddha Master. There has been called a demon runt, and we can see these things in the history. But even today, some of the greatest teachers are like identifying other people as not Buddhist, or their Buddha is not a Buddha. And so 
I wanted to uh, just contemplate like gender is a social construct, a, a subjective conceptual designation. Then we have, why can't we extend that? Get people to understand that everything is a conceptual designation, and to really um, ask what identity really is. And in Buddhism, we have the concept of the absolute truth and the conventional truth, different levels. And I tried to make a diagram, um, and I asked Adrian to send that out to everyone. But if you can imagine thusness, the identitylessness of thus as an enso, and inside the enso, imagine as it is written out in a circle. And whether it's forwards or backwards, it still spells out as it is. And this is a representative of this identitylessness an absolute unchanging thing that can be experienced yet is forever incomprehensible and inexpressible. And then on the other side of the page, I wanted you to imagine keep going, which is such a wonderful Dharma motto. And for me, it really reflects the um, dependent origination and the ever-changing inexhaustible expressions and articulations and manifestations of thusness, of identitylessness. It's the identity side of, of this mystery. And then the keep going full signs equals keep equals going equals to represent the, the links of dependent origination and how connect and keep going. And these are like little identities and then in between the as it is identitylessness and the keep going identity, I'd like you to imagine or and nor. The words or and nor to represent all the possible combinations of these two mysteries. As it is, or just keep going, or both or neither. And so the idea of completeness and uniqueness and really not to devalue or reduce either aspect and to appreciate not just unity in diversity, but that the diversity is in unity. And that challenge in the, our Dharma practice to revere both the identitylessness and the identity. In uh, many of the Buddhist groups I study with online, there is this like real focus on the impersonal side um, as the thusness and a real sort of devaluing of the personal stories of thisness. And different things are skillful for different persons and conditions, but I like um, preserving both the as it isness and the thisness. We keep going to articulate and to somehow express and manifest 
what's totally incomprehensible and unexpressible. And so, as a Dharma exercise, I'd like to take some breaths. Ponder identity as a conceptual designation. All identities being mere conceptual designations. How has your identity changed through different stages of your life? Consider the role of dukkha forming one's identity. The ways that craving and aversion affect the conceptual designations we make related to identity. Consider the role of dukkha, craving and aversion, and how they affect our identity. How and why do we conceptually designate the identity of others? Designations become impositions. Where in your life does your skillful alignment with certain persons, values, traditions, or causes overstep to become an unskillful identification with them? So these were some things that I began thinking about in relation to the eternal Buddha Dharma and current happenings in my local communities related to identity. I had some quotes that I wanted to use to amplify what I'm hinting at or trying to articulate. And the first is by uh, Jungian analyst Anne Belford Ulanov. She starts off by quoting Jung and then goes on to make her own statement, but I'll just read it together. And it's in the PDF. These quotes are in the PDF that will be sent around. We are at once never more than our limited ego before the one who dwells within us, whose form has no knowable boundaries, who encompasses us on all sides, fathomless, as the abysms of the earth and as vast as the sky. That's the young quote. And then Anne goes on to say, This one, grand and magnificent, also brings through the back door the wild thing, always alive and untamable, the all, far beyond our comprehension, yet whom we know best in the tiny particulars of our personal journey and the cultural forms of our particular time. And I really like that quote because it relates to this idea of the thusness and the thisness and the total incomprehensibility of thus. And yet what we can know about it and articulate about it is through our particular 
identity, our journey, our particular story. Last month or so, I went to see the movie Ghost in the Shell, and there were a couple really good lines I liked, and I wanted to read two of those lines since they relate to identity and the completeness versus the uniqueness. We cling to memories as if they define us, but they don't. What we do is what defines us. When we see our uniqueness as a virtue, only then do we find peace. And the last quote I want want to leave you with is from the song Shangri-La by the Ruddles. And you can go on YouTube and find it, listen to it, Shangri-La by the Ruddles. And they're a comedy parody band of parodying the Beatles. But I think comedy is really important. And more um, comedy or you know, to, to get insight through comedy. And so through this parody song, they actually have some insightful things as relates to this and us. And in the song it goes, Did you think your head was hip to certain things? It's not equipped to qualify. Dance and children sing, and everybody does their thing in Shangri-La. You can be whoever you are in Shangri-La. And so some of these things that have just been appearing while I've been contemplating identitylessness and identity, various quotes and movies, this thought related to this idea of completeness, which is inexhaustible and measurable, and yet how we have to keep going to manifest, articulate, express, what we experience but never fully comprehend. Um, Go to page through some notes to to see if there's anything else. Um, In Jainism, they have an epistemology of knowing in which truth and reality um, are perceived differently from different points of view, and so no single reference point can express the complete truth, and it's taught in various religions and in Buddhism as well. This idea of our particular view and the pure awareness behind that view, and uh, as relating to how our identity, our conceptual designations, our roles, what we do, what we choose, relates to who we are. Um, I remember that uh, one Hindu teacher told me that there's, as, as relates to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, that there's who Krishna is and there's what Krishna desires, what Krishna wants, and who he is is really based on what he wants. And somehow 
I, I thought there's some connection with, with our identity. It's like what we desire is really turns out to be what we are in the particular, but not, of course not in the absolute absolute thusness where there's identitylessness. But some thoughts that came to mind as I was pondering this and how, you know, my desires and aversions really affect what I think I am. And oh yeah, two more things <laughs> to leave you with. And thank you for this opportunity to, to share some of my reflections. So there's a uh, quantum physicist, physicist named Brian Skinner, and in one of the articles I was reading about him, as I was contemplating this issue of identity, he. Uh, I'll read an excerpt. What are people made of? He goes on to list. He reduces it to this. To the best of our present ability to perceive and to reason, the universe is made from quantum fields and nothing else. And so this idea of personhood, everything in the universe, not just our identity, but everything, according to the new uh, quantum worldview, is a vast open field of vastlessness, and yet we see people and things, not fields, and we experience the particulars of the vastless field. <laughs> my dog is barking and my cat is having a wheezing attack, so I'm going to leave you with one quick thought, and it's about puzzlement because that's what we're really left with uh, in the face of great mysteries. And so in, in Greek philosophy, they have a term called aporia. In some skeptical schools in Greek philosophy, there's the idea that this puzzlement is specifically induced to produce equanimity. And, of course, we have the koans in the Zen tradition and other traditions, These, this idea of bewilderment and puzzlement. puzzlement. So... I'll leave that leave you with that to ponder and be puzzled by how thus can be this and how we can have completeness and uniqueness. Have a good week, everyone. Okay, thank you very much. There's a lot of different themes or topics within the Dharma Glimpse. I'd just like to briefly comment on couple. One is thusness uh, coming from Tathagata, which is uh, one of the descriptors or names of the Buddha. And I really like that that particular epithet. You know, the Buddha is called, described as many things, different names, different descriptors. Um, but Tathagata, I, I personally really like that. Uh, and the teaching it contains. I think the literal meaning is thus come. Or it describes one who comes from thusness. As it is, just as you are. Um, The oneness of thusness, there is identitylessness. (laughs) Pretty interesting word. Maybe that's a unique word. Identitylessness. 
The other one topic that jumped out at me was when Toyo and his Dharma Guns was talking about even among Buddhists or Buddhist denominations uh, or sects, uh, there's discord. And in terms of you know, identity, in terms of religious identity, <laughs> What is Buddhism, or that's not Buddhism? Okay. Uh, very. I I always remember my father and both my father, both my parents. You know, they they liked the phrase in trying to describe my father's approach to the Dharma teachings and to Buddhism. They liked the phrase is that his approach is non-sectarian, non-dualistic approach to the teachings and expressing the teachings. Non-dualistic or the aspect of, you know, oneness, interdependency, and so forth. But non-sectarian means uh, something universal. Non-sectarian has a danger of, you know, us versus them. And, of course, non-dualistic could be expressed as one of the dangers is the duality or dichotomy of true versus false versus them or true versus false. It's really terrible. Uh, Social political issues, not really about Buddhism. Some people, as it was expressed by a colleague, some people, they have in their hand, they go around with a Buddhist meter, and they point this meter, and they see, oh, hey, that's not true Buddhism. Why do they need to do that? They feel a social responsibility. They feel self-righteousness, <laughs> that they got to be the monitor, the guard, the, you know. Well, that's something to think about. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day.